Aloha, everyone. Welcome to Sasha Spins, where you get my thoughts on life, current events, and everything else in between, in and out of the saddle. So let's get right on into it. Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. I hope you are having a great day so far. I hope you are doing amazing. And if you are not, it is never too late to turn it around. So today on Sasha Spins, we are talking about the thought, the phrase, the idea, the sentiment, the feeling that I am tired of talking about racism. So recently I found myself in a conversation with my mother-in-law about race, racism, how we move forward. Basically the conversations that we've been having on the national forefront since about May, June. And before I even started having this conversation with her, I was just casually talking to Snow Bay and sharing my thoughts on colonization, the history of Thanksgiving, and how we've been purposefully misled and miseducated when we were growing up. And then that came, that turned into a conversation about racism in and of itself. So this was over Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving weekend, and there are, so many, there are so many conversations that we've been having that I've been seeing people have on social media and I've been having with other people in my own spaces about Thanksgiving. And if you're basically a product of any education before like 2000, you've been lied to. We've all been lied to. Like y'all remember the Thanksgiving Day plays and the story we've been told about how the Native Americans were just so open and welcoming to the pilgrims and how they forged this loving, lasting relationship. And then we all learn, come to find out that was bullshit. (laughs) But it wasn't a mistake that we were taught that because to the victor goes the spoils and the colonizers happen to be the victors. So they get to rewrite history however they want. And we know that that was not based in any type of reality, but I feel like the U.S. education system, especially how we learn history, they're lies. Lies, lies. (laughs) So anyways, that conversation that I was having with Snow Bay, I'm talking to him and I'm not, you know, we get very engrossed in these conversations. And so generally I don't hear and I'm not hearing anyone coming in. I'm not hearing anyone pop in. So out of nowhere, out of nowhere, my my mother-in-law, she goes, you know, I am just so sick of racism, how everything is black this and white that. I'm just tired of talking about racism. And y'all, when I say immediately the hairs on my neck and my arms stood up and because she's not prone to ignorance, I was taken a little aback by that comment because like I said, she's not prone to ignorance, but at the same time as a white woman in a town where there are like four black people, like literally every time I go visit my in-laws, I swear I bring up the black population in their town by like (laughs) 7,000%. But anyways, but because she is a white woman in a predominantly white town, raised by white people, surrounded by white people, very little exposure, she absolutely has some implicit biases of her own, as many white people do, regardless of the environments that they were raised in, because white privilege is a thing, and implicit bias is just within all of us, but white privilege a lot of the time allows people to 
not be aware of their own implicit biases or ignorances. So anyways, I'm waiting for the other foot to drop, right? Like she said this statement and there was a pause and then I was ready to launch into, do I drag this hoe mode? Like, <laughs> yes, do I have to sit here and I'm, a, I'm do I got to drag my mother-in-law over Thanksgiving? And before I go on, P.S., if you're ever, if you ever find yourself questioning, right, whether you should drag one of your in-laws or have probably an under uncomfortable conversation, Yes, you absolutely can drag them. Yes, if the occasion calls for it. But also we should be having these uncomfortable conversations with our family members, with our friends. And I'll get into more of that later. But they're family, so you got to keep it 100. Always. Period. So if a dragging is necessary, you don't need my permission to do it. But you got the green light. So Anyways, all of this to say, thankfully, it was not a moment for a dragging because she quickly followed up like, no, 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 I don't mean to be like, I'm sick and tired of talking about racism and educating people. I'm just sick that I'm just sick of the fact that racism is a thing. I want it to be over. I want, I don't want anyone to have to experience racism ever. I just want people to be able to live their lives in peace and for this to not be a problem anymore. I just hate that it's a thing. So y'all, when I say... I breathed a sigh of relief. <laughs> the dragging was averted. I let her finish speaking her piece and I'm glad I did because your girl, sometimes I'll be waiting for that other foot to drop for people to like say something stupid as hell. But thankfully she did not. So like I said, dragging averted. But after, and then after she was done saying what, you know, she finished what she was saying, I was like, freaking same, sis, same. Because if you're tired of talking about it and hearing about it, imagine how tired black people and non-black people of color are. Imagine how tired they are experiencing it. The shit is exhausting. It's exhausting. I don't want to be talking about racism. I don't think any black person wants to be talking about racism in the context in which it exists nowadays. You don't think we're talking about it? We're tired of talking about it? We're tired of experiencing it. I'm tired of experiencing it. And I've honestly said this so many times. I've, every time I've had a conversation with someone about quarantine and they ask me how it's going, I'm like, you know, it's really not that bad. And I find that the reason why I'm okay with this quarantine and being in the house is because the amount of microaggressions and just outright flagrant racism I've experienced and I deal with has dropped to virtually zero. Zero. Being removed from the general public and interactions with people has changed my life instrumentally to the point where sometimes I think about, I don't know how I'm going to transition back to this. Like I am here in the comfort of my own little cocoon and I do not want to have to go back out into the world where I am again, having to constantly on a daily basis, be reminded of my blackness, constantly and possibly experiencing microaggressions. What is my racist coworker going to say? Is someone going to ask to touch my hair? Is someone going to make a stereotypical comment? I don't have to worry about those things. It's just Snow Bay and I in the cocoon of our own home. So when people ask me how quarantine is going, I'm like, y'all is going great. It's going amazing (laughs) because no one, no one wants to experience racism the same way no one wants to talk about it. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this is what I said to my mother-in-law. And this is what I'm saying to you today because this is what we're talking about because I'm sharing my thoughts about it. We need to talk about it. And I think we were 
we were really back in June, back in May, even July, we were doing a good job about talking about it or at least pretending to talk about it, you know, pretending to be interested. But now that six months, five, six months have passed, activism is no longer trending, anti-racism is no longer trending, and it seems that things have gone back to more, more the same. Regularly scheduled programming, People are bored, they're over it, they're tired of it, they don't want to talk about it anymore. But here's the thing, instead of people to push past that fatigue that they succumb to, which is the easy thing to do, which is the lazy thing to do, instead of them to just talk about these things, they're just like, no, I'm tired, I'm bored, I'm over it. You know, life was getting someone back to normal and there were less restrictions, things eased up, people felt like they were able to move on with their lives. So moving on with our lives, we're able to go to the gyms, we're able to go to the studio, some of us are able to go back to work, we're able to go back to our routines, we're able to talk about the TV shows that we all love. P.S. I recently watched The Queen's Gambit. Actually, I won't want to say I watched the whole thing, but I watched, I wasn't even going to really watch it, uh, speaking of TV shows. <laughs> I wasn't even going to watch it because I saw the trailer for it and I was like, automatically there are no people of color and the older I get, I think I've shared this before, but the older I get, the less interested I am in just watching TV shows that can't be bothered to be diverse. These period pieces where we act like, you know, black people don't exist. I mean, the time in which this movie was set, I believe there was an entire civil rights movement going on. There were things occurring in the world and we just decided we're not going to talk about those things. And so then they like diversify by having the magical Negro role, you know, the stereotypical black best friend and that's Jolene. And this girl was, I, Jolene was super interesting, like more interesting than Elizabeth Harmon, the main character in the Queen's Gambit. And I'm like, why are we focusing on Elizabeth? This girl's just playing chess and it's not terribly exciting. And everything was, I could predict everything that was going to happen basically. But anyways, sorry, I derailed. If you're watching The Queen's Gambit and you love it, that's great. I did not care for it. And I don't know if I'm going to finish it. Um, I'm just not interested. Like I said, the older I get, the less interested I am in watching TV shows that are not diverse. But back on topic, <laughs> people are just tired of talking about racism. They're tired of t addressing it. They're tired of trying to fix it because it's hard. It's, it's hard work. I understand that. It's difficult to have these conversations. And the reason why it's hard is because it's fucking everywhere. You know, it, it's everywhere. But the thing is, not talking about it, not talking about racism, not talking about privilege, not talking about discrimination, anti-blackness, lack of diversity and inequality. That is the exact reason why all of these things exist and are present in every single institution in this country and was basically woven into the fabric of this country in and of itself. Racism isn't as American as apple pie. See, people are tired of talking about it, but we're having this conversation 400 years too late. We should have been having this conversation back in 1619 when the first slave, when the first black person was brought to this country and held as a slave. We should have been having this conversation then. But we're having the conversation for this is the crazy part. We're having this conversation 400 years too late and people are tired. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make this up. I mean, I just, and here's the thing. 2020 has been an exhausting year. 
I think that's like the an understatement to say that. It's been an exhausting year. It's been a frustrating year. It's been a scary year for a lot of people. And as a result, I think that this pandemic has weirdly contributed to this racism fatigue and exhaustion. I think the same way the pandemic was able to pull our attention to this and pull our attention to these much needed conversations about the need for representation and diversity and inclusive inclusion and inclusivity and anti-racism. The same way quarantine and the pandemic kind of had a zero in on this, I think it's also the same reason why people are experiencing that fatigue and experience are just exhausted and are tired of talking about it. And I think that for like several reasons, which I'm going to lay all out because y'all know I like my lists. Y'all know I like my bullet points. So I'm going to just lay them all out nice and simple. So the first reason, we are, we're not having these conversations regularly. Like I said, we're having this conversation 400 years too late. So as a nation, you know, we have the civil rights movement and everybody's like, yay, racism is over. Thanks, Martin Luther King. He saved us all. Like, ugh, which is, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but we're not having these conversation as a country. And then when we are having them, we're having them in like isolated pockets and events, you know, something really horribly racist will happen and then it'll be a, it'll be making the news cycles and we'll we'll see we'll see it then and we'll have that conversation then or when black history month pops up then we're having these conversations but they're very isolated they're very narrow and they just stop they fizzle out out of nowhere so out of nowhere then actually not out of nowhere um there were three horrible tragic murders in a row and brought and these tragic murders we're all at home we they have our attention we're all paying more attention to social media because sports are canceled concerts are canceled there's nothing going on we're all just sitting on the couch watching all of these things unfold and it has our full wrapped attention and it's at the forefront of our mind. It's in the news. It's on social media. It's on the conversations that we're having with a lot of people and boom, it's in your face. And I think that overload has contributed to people like they were really interested in, it's almost like, um, like dopamine, right? You get that instant hit and you're like, oh my God, like this is happening. We got to ride this wave. This is amazing. And then when the hit it comes on to its other side, the downtrend, people forget. And I think that's what's happening now. It had our attention at a time where nothing else had our attention, but now things are opening back up. Our attention is fo- focused on other things and we feel like, all right, we paid attention to it. We have the conversation. Let's move on. And then it stopped tre- It stops trending. We stop having these conversations. We stop seeing it in social media. And then that lends into, honestly, reason number two, because people are lazy and we have very short memories. I was reading this book earlier this year by Catherine Price. I've talked about it a lot because it really helped me like get back on track with phone habits and phone hygiene and good phone habits that I had established before quarantine that I noticed falling off the waist. I like with quarantine, I've picked up some really unhealthy habits around my phone. So I read that book and it helped me reestablish a lot of the habits that I had beforehand. But anyways, it one of the one of the things that the book talked about was how social media 
is affecting our memories. It's affecting how we process things. It's affecting how we store things. And it's contributing to the short-term memory loss a lot of people have now, where we basically have, we don't even have the attention span of goldfish anymore. We have the attention span of less than goldfish now. So people, we just have short memories. And as all of these things were occurring, people were racing to show that they were, you know, they were the biggest, best ally ever, the biggest advocate ever, that they were the most anti-racist human being ever. So they're doing what's easy, right? They're joining the book clubs. They're donating to the Minnesota Freedom Fund. They're following Black creators on social media. They're amplifying Black voices. You know, all of the easy things to do. And also not even just easy, because I don't want to say that people are lazy. And I think people are lazy. Let me back people are lazy but at this moment again we're in quarantine so these are the most accessible things for people to do because if you were not out there protesting or if you're you didn't feel safe that protesting is a great outward show of hey i'm down with this cause and i'm here to support not everyone felt comfortable doing that because again we're in the middle of a pandemic like i went to some and i felt pretty much okay and thankfully i did not get coronavirus in them and i i saw that you know most people were being safe. Most people are wearing masks. You're distancing as much as possible as you can in the middle of a protest. But for the most part, some people did not feel comfortable going out to protest. So people are doing the most accessible things that they can do because we're in quarantine and you can't really go out and do the work of anti-racism. Like protesting is not the only way you can do this work. But like I said, you know, we're not able to do the things that we used to do because of quarantine. Therefore, we're on the couch doing what we can as individuals and we're reading and we're learning and we're trying to grow and we're trying to be better. So that's, you know, that's the part of like the laziness. And then it's also the part of the short memories because again, all of these things were brought to the consciousness six months ago, seven months ago. Well, for white people, let me rephrase that. Black people, brown people, non-black people of color, we've been new, okay? This is just something that's very new to white people. And it's something that is not only new to them, but I guess some of them decided that they wanted to pay attention to now because they had time to do so. But that's obviously because of our short memories, they're no longer trending, They've lost, we've lost the focus. People have lost the vision. They're tired. They've moved on. So aside of people moving on, they're not able to do this work because we're not able to be in spaces with other people. And this is honestly the last, and I think this may be, I don't want to say the biggest reason I say of all of the three reasons I've listed so far. Well, two, I'm getting into the third one right now. I think this probably contributes a lot to why people feel this fatigue of, oh, I'm tired of talking about racism because we're talking about it, but what can we, we can't do. We can't do the work because a lot of that work and reason number three, a lot of the work of anti-racism is showing up in spaces as an advocate, as an ally, and verbally doing the work, having conversations And that work, those conversations, they occur in our intimate spaces, you know, church, social clubs, our studios we go to, the gyms we go to, with family, with friends, and then in our public spaces, we're, you know, work out and about in our daily lives, maybe on the metro, maybe on the bus, you know, we're at school, the grocery store, out dining. So we show up physically in these intimate and these public spaces. 
And it's in those spaces where we're able to actively do the work of anti-racism, which is, you know, calling people out and then calling them in to educate them, trying to make changes in the space that we're in, trying to diversify, trying to be more inclusive, training people. We physically show up in those spaces and the vast majority of us are still in quarantine or we've limited ourselves to certain spaces and we've removed those other spaces that we don't feel are necessary right now to expose our to ourselves to in the name of safety. So because of that, the spaces that we are showing up in, they're very limited. We're not interacting with people as much and therefore, because we're not interacting with people, we have less opportunities to put that racism into actual work. And I think because we have less of those opportunities, people are like, well, I'm tired of talking about it. I want to do and I can't do. So I'm not going to talk about it. And I think people are struggling with that. I've heard that conversation before. I've heard those frustrations and it's like, okay, I've read all the books. Now, what do I do? How am I supposed to put all of this into practice? And you know what? All of, all of these things are true, right? We are lazy. We have short-term memories. We've, removed, we've been removed from our spaces. This all bombarded us with one time and it's now, you know, now it's out of the wayside. It's out of the forefront of our conversations. And what do we do now? What do we do now? I'm tired of talking about it. What do I do? And my answer to that is, this comes full circle, Right? because you're tired of talking about racism, you want to do, you still can do. Just because we're tired of talking about racism, it doesn't mean that it's all of a sudden doesn't exist and that lack of representation isn't a problem and that we don't, that we no longer need diversity in so many areas, in, in any in areas everywhere that that need for diversity has disappeared. There are still these are all opportunities. There are still opportunities to do the work, even if it can't be showing up physically in spaces. You can still show up and make a difference. And I think right now, if one of the biggest things for you is you're tired of talking about it and you want to do the work, you still can do the work. If you are still communicating with people in any capacity, you are able to do the work by continuing to have conversations with your friends, with your family members in those intimate spaces, and especially teaching your children. I think that's probably the biggest thing for me right now. Because this whole conversation, this whole conversation sparked with Snowbay and I talking about how misinformed and miseducated and undereducated we are by design. It's no mistake the curriculum that children are learning and being taught. We are purposefully being misled and miseducated. The children that are supposed to be our future are purposefully being miseducated. So right now, a great opportunity to, to show up and to do that work is to make sure that the public school education system, you are not leaning on it entirely to educate your child. Every single parent should be an active advocate for their child in the education that they are receiving. And that also means taking an active role in what they're learning and making up for what they aren't learning. When I was younger, my dad, 
he really believed in this and it shows up in all of my siblings. The school was never solely responsible for educating us. And I respect my parents so much for that because there are so many of us. I'm one of seven. And even still, my parents knew that it was on them to educate us. So when we would come back from school, my dad would have us reading. He'd take us to the library a lot. We'd go to museums. He'd ask us questions. He'd have conversations with us. He'd challenge us on what we were learning. And my mom to like a lesser degree I think my dad my dad is like he's just so well read and he's just so fascinated and just I owe so many things to my dad he's like I owe so many things obviously to both of my parents but my dad is really the person that pushed in me that curiosity to learn that curiosity to be constantly thinking and not to believe everything I see to always double check to always fact check so we have to be doing that and I say we because it isn't of parents alone they don't raise their children the community raise we raise kids as a community but on parents because we've been removed again from those spaces where we all have more access to each other now you are in that space you are in that role as a teacher you are in that role as an educator and you have to make sure you are doing, you can't alone be doing the work of anti-racism. You can't alone be reading all the books and reading all the podcasts and having all the conversations and not be sharing that with your child. And I feel like I've seen, I've seen this a lot. I've seen this, but what if my child is too, too young for this? And I always laugh at that. It is actually, it reminds me of a conversation that I was having with one of my sisters like a couple of months ago, back in maybe June or July when all of this was um, starting and her friends were going to her, her sorority sisters were going to her with conversations and questions and stuff. And she, one of her sorority sisters came to her and she felt that at six years old, her son was too young to learn about racism. (laughs) Imagine six years old to learn to learn, too young to learn about racism. And my sister informed her, she like told her sorority sister, she was like, at six years old, black children and non-black children of color have statistically already experienced some type of racism or discrimination based on the color of their skin or microaggression. So if they are old enough at six years old to experience those things or have it impact their life or their self-esteem or their feelings, then white kids are 100% absolutely old enough to learn about racism. My sister said that to her and I couldn't agree more. Your child is never too young to have these conversations. And over Christmas, I've been looking at some books, some age appropriate books, because I'm going to send them to my nieces over Christmas time, because I know that they're, again, the town, the place where my husband comes from, they're very, they're very little to, there's little, I'm going to say it's not diverse. It's not diverse at all. And so that I feel partially because I'm the only black person in their life. I feel personally partially responsible for what they're learning. And I'm just looking at age appropriate books to send to them because if I can't be physically there to teach them that I want to send a part of myself that is able to teach them. And like I said, I'm not a parent. I'm not here to tell anyone how to parent their child. But what I am saying is that if you are doing your best and you are teaching your child values and you are trying to lead with that, then you should be leading with the values of anti-racism and those values you're sharing are shaping your children into being amazing individuals. 
And so your values should absolutely be teaching them how to be allies, to be advocates, to be anti-racist and let them know that this country is not fair and it's not equal for all. And if they see something happening that isn't fair or that isn't equal, then they should speak up. If they see something that makes them uncomfortable to speak up because we have been socialized as a country, as a people to look the other way and to not have these conversations, we should be having these conversations. So if you want to show up and if you're tired of talking about racism and you want to show up and do the work, this is the work. Having those conversations is the work. Talking about racism is the work. And I say this because I think a lot of people in like doing the work, right? They're waiting for this big, huge racist moment to happen in their face, right? They're waiting for someone to like skip down the street with a KKK robe on and a Confederate flag waving in the background, hurling the N-word at black people's faces. And I think people are waiting for that because in a lot of people's minds, this is what racism is to them. You know, the racism isn't in the microaggressions, Right. This is the racism that we've been taught that you could easily identify and then you can spring into action and show off what you've learned and show that you are doing the work that you know right from wrong. But more often than not, nine times out of 10, I'm going to even say 10 times out of 10 because I have never in my life experienced direct racism in that way. So I'm going to say 10 times out of 10, racism doesn't show up in that way unless you're maybe at a Trump rally or living in certain areas. But for me, where I was growing up, where what I've experienced, racism doesn't show up in that way. It shows up in the microaggressions that you have to deal with, the questions people Ask it, yes, intrusive, ignorant questions. People ask how we stereotype black people, how we stereotype other races of people. It shows up in who gets represented and who doesn't get represented, who gets a seat at the table, who doesn't get a seat at the table, how we judge people based off of their hair and make comments about their hair. Racism is in all of those things. It's in the, it's in the little things. And it's in those little things in those times in our intimate spaces and in our, in, in our public spaces, if we're still going into them, that we can show up in ways that show that we are learning and we are leading with anti-racist values and doing the work. So this is getting a little long. I'm going to wrap it up because I don't want y'all, I don't want to be preaching at y'all, right? I want y'all to like take this and then just go move it in the world as amazing people. So to wrap this up, like my mother-in-law said, Yes, I am 110% beyond absolutely sick and tired of talking about racism. I am sick and tired of experiencing it. I am sick and tired of dealing with microaggressions. I am sick and tired of all of it. If I could go the rest of my life with never, ever, once again, ever talking about racism, it would be way too freaking soon. But (laughs) here's the but. Unfortunately, that is not the reality that we live in. And until we are able to have open and frank conversations about racism and then see those conversations translating into long lasting actions, we will need to continue to have the conversation about racism. So continue to talk, continue to learn, 
Continue to show up, even if you're tired, because we're all fucking tired. 2020 has been very exhausting. We're all tired, but continue to do the work. Even if you feel like you're not getting through to anybody, continue to show up because one day you will get through to someone. I promise you, I guarantee it. Continue to do the work. We need to continue to have these conversations. And I'm here to tell you, there is no room for you to get tired and stop having conversations. So if you're sick and tired of talking about racism, continue to have the conversations because it's not going to go away until we continue to talk about it and address certain things. So unfortunately, you're going to continue to have the conversations if you're sick and tired of talking about racism, but it's not unfortunately really because those t- those talks, those conversations we have to people translates to actions, translates to better, translates to a more anti-racist society that we keep going until someday, and I hope I will be alive to see it, but until someday, that we are able to actively, earnestly say we are living in an anti-racist society. And that day is not today. So there is no room for you to be tired of talking about this or to stop talking about this. Keep going. Keep moving forward. That's it. So I want to hear about you. I want to hear from you. If you've noticed a downturn in having these active conversations with people about racism, or do you feel like yourself, you are wondering what more you can do? If any, what are you doing? Or you're wondering, is this translating to any good? I want to know. I want to know. I want to have these conversations. So you can drop me a voice note on Anchor FM Or you can hit me up on Instagram at Sasha Spins or the Sasha Whitney and we'll talk about it. And until next time, y'all, peace out.